The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Yeah, so uh, Mark just asked us to kind of get the discussion started. So uh, Gabe and Shelley and I will share a little bit of our experience with sloth and torpor. And then today it will be just a big group sharing. You know, ideally we'd all be sitting in a circle and just kind of, um, kind of share with, with whatever com- we're coming into the room with. Um, yeah, so... Um, and then um, we can each offer some uh, launching questions that, that might, <coughs> might get us started also. So I thought uh, just to begin by saying that um, you know, this is about sloth and torpor and that this isn't the same as physical tiredness. So we're talking about a kind of dullness of mind that is not physiological. It's not related to being tired. And I think a lot of times what, what is going on is that we are just physically and mentally tired, I think culturally, that's often the case, but when we're talking about sloth and torpor, we're not talking about that. So sloth and torpor, they go as a pair. Uh, Sloth manifests as a physical absence of vitality. Um, So in that case, the body, you know, might feel heavy or lethargic, uh, weary or weak. And then uh, torpor is the mental end, so a lack of mental energy. So they often are married, as we can see. Um, yeah, and, and with torpor, the mind um, can be easily drifting in thought. It can be sort of dull or cloudy. So that's sort of the mental qualities of torpor. And Gil Fronsdale writes, when this hindrance is strong, there's not even enough mindfulness to know we've fallen into it. <clears throat> um, yeah, so I was, just, I was just sort of thinking of examples of sloth and torpor kind of in my practice and different ways that I've worked with it. So, so just one, one example that's interesting to me. In 2005, um, uh, Mark and I, I... My name's Wynn Fricky, by the way. I'm sorry. I should have, <laughs> should have introduced myself, whatever. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, um, Mark, who was who also my partner, we, we went to uh, Plum Village in 2005, and we sat with Thich Nhat Hanh for three weeks. And he's, as probably most of you know, a, a well-known and prolific Vietnamese author and monk and uh, really inspiring figure. And um, every morning uh, we sat, you know, and he would give a two-hour Dhamma talk, and uh, I think he was probably about 80 years old, so he just had kind of amazing energy uh, to do that. And if you know Thich Nhat Hanh or, or have heard his voice, he has just the softest sing-song voice that just makes you want to curl up, and it makes you feel safe. He is walking tranquility. It's one of his teachings. And and I found it impossible. And I sat right in the front row, and I was so eager and happy to be there. But he would begin speaking, and I would just go, oh. <laughs> Every day. And it was really astonishing, because I was really interested. I, was, I lived my life to come and see Thich Nhat Hanh and you know, listen to a Dhamma talk. So it wasn't like a lack of will or, or whatever. So that was just an example to me of you know, the mind feeling safe, you know, the mind feeling safe or the mind being affected by someone else who has a lot of tranquility. So I think we're, we can be sponges that way when we're with someone with a lot of agitation, when we're with someone with, with a lot of tranquility, there can be a resonance. But 
but that's just an example that I, I, I don't even know how necessarily to interpret, but um, it, was, it was interesting in, in sort of the power of tran- tranquility and how that can just kind of, um, yeah, it has, it has its own life. Um, and I, I, uh, on a recent retreat, I had some, um, particularly a lack of mental energy come up, you know, like uh, I labeled it as disinterest, where I just felt, and it had a little bit this quality of like the mind being drifty. It just didn't want to land on any object, not interested in anything, a kind of dull, you know, uh, yeah, not even able to distract myself, that kind of feeling um, in the mind. And so I just was labeling it disinterest. And my, my um, strategy was to try to stimulate energy. So I would, would be taking walks. I'd listen to Dhamma talks. I would drink a ton of coffee. You know, just, just what, whatever, because this state felt so unworkable, like there wasn't enough energy to be productive. That was sort of the view that I had in my mind. And, and um, Marcia Rose was my teacher for this retreat, and she said, uh, she said, yeah, no, don't try to bring up energy. Just accept. Just accept this is, this is how the mind is now. And, and these things can be uh, states of mind that are unfolding as part of our practice. So it's not like we're doing something wrong necessarily. So this is just a state of sloth and torpor. And, um, but it was really unpleasant. And so it was hard for me actually to accept it. I, ne- I realized I never, quite, I never quite did that. And on a, on a recent retreat that I... I just did, this, this came up again, this very same sort of disinterest. Um, and, and, uh, um, and this retreat, because I, because I had had a lot of storms in the mind, I was more willing to be with sort of dullness, like that was, that was okay, next to being enraged. You know? <laughs> like, I'll, I'll take some dullness for a while. And so there was sort of more willingness to sort of be there. And... Um, and then this time, you know, the, you know, it's like um, uh, disinterest is like this. You know, disinterest is like this. Just inviting the question. So, you know, I've heard it a hundred times, but then, what is disinterest like? And that, you know, and then just turning to the body, with, um, yeah, just with all of a sudden, just interest. Like, wh- how is the body different than when I was just? furious, you know, a day ago. How, how is the energy different? And this is just what I want to offer. Um, uh, there's particular um, teachings around the elements of the body, you know, the element of fire, earth, water, and uh, wind. Yeah, the, the four elements. So these, this is the Buddhist teachings, four lenses with which we can look at the body. So so uh, wind or air, for instance, is um, any, any movement in the body. So you can, just, you can just feel any movement in the form that it comes up, any vibration, uh, you know, uh, yeah, the, just the multitude of ways there's movement internally. So there's air, there's earth, which is like the hardness, the softness, the lightness, the weight, Right there's water, which is like fluidity or cohesion, um, and then there's what did I leave out? Earth, fire. Fire is temperature, right? And so what I noticed and got interested in is like the temperature in my body in various places was so different 
than when I was angry. And the kind of movement was so different than when I was angry. So this is a, I felt like these are really useful, like precise tools to kind of enter the body with like uh, looking more closely at sensation. So before that, I think it had just been sort of generally sensation, you know, just kind of feeling things. But, but looking more closely, this was really useful. And then I got really interested in the nature of this, this kind of mind and how it is in the body and how it is in the mind. And then it was enlivening. So that was interesting. You know, it kind of turned a corner and energy came up because this was suddenly felt really relevant uh, to my practice. And then I'll just add one more um, piece. Um, and this was from Joseph, uh, one of Joseph's stories, Joseph Goldstein, who uh, he, he, was, he was talking about his experience doing walking meditation. And he felt like his mindfulness was pretty good. It was pretty sustained, pretty clear. But he just felt like his practice wasn't going anywhere. It just felt, you know, it, it, there was a deadness in a particular way. Um, and Upandita, Sayadaw Upandita's uh, uh, advice to him was, be more mindful. And Joseph was, well, thanks a lot, you know, but, like that's really useful or whatever. But then Joseph said, so I did, I was, I was more mindful, I looked more closely. And then he described with that little bit of increased effort, with that little willingness to look more closely, all of a sudden this energy was born. So, so there's this principle that that effort leads to energy. And I think that's really relevant when we're talking about um, sloth and torpor. And I'll end with just these words of, of uh, Gil Fronsdale, just because he's so eloquent. Um, and this can be, maybe, we can keep this in mind for when we talk together. So mindfulness practice can help us understand how our evaluations and reactions lead to lethargy. We can see how the stories we tell ourselves drain our vitality. These can be well-honed, defeatist stories about how I can't do it, it's too hard, it's too dangerous. As these thoughts lead to discouragement, self-pity, and ideas of futility, our vitality continues to disappear. Learning to mindfully watch our thoughts instead of actively participating in them can effectively stop them from draining our energy. Sloth and torpor may arise from evaluating something as boring, but nothing is inherently boring. Boredom is a judgment, an activity of the mind. It can arise when desires and expectations are not satisfied. It can also occur when a situation is thought to have no personal benefit. People who feel highly energized when their self-image is being enhanced or diminished may deem an experience boring if it, is, if it does nothing for their self-image. That the Gabe today was we were working. Wow, we could probably all talk for like some hours on sloth and torpor individually. 
Or we could get up there and all say the same thing in like 30 minutes. <laughs> so we'll see how this goes. <laughs> <laughs> I was reminded of that because as I was preparing for what I would say tonight, I was listening to Gil Fronsdale and reading up on what he was saying. So <laughs> that, well, I could say a lot of those same things. Up or turn up the yes, you can. Thank you, Haya. I will. How about that? Any better? Let's see. Testing now. All right. Okay. So I just got back from four weeks at Prairie Farm, practicing out there, mostly alone, but sometimes with others. Yeah, so I had a good opportunity to work with the hindrances. <laughs> and one of the things that felt, felt really important for me to remember is that it's something that I often forget, and I think we often forget, is that the hindrances are visitors to the mind. They're not who we are. They're not me, mine. They're just impermanent arisings due to causes and conditions like everything else. And nothing we can experience is outside of that. So even though it seems like you know, any of the hindrances are going to stay there forever, they're not. <laughs> so often the, you know, the, what I would go to is just a noticing change, like, well, what is this and how can it, what is happening here and um, how is it, how is the, what I'm noticing, how is that changing? What can I see about this object of meditation, this object of practice differently now than I did a moment ago? And sloth and torpor, you know, like when pointed to the sloth as uh, feeling in the body of heaviness, like wanting to collapse, not wanting to sit up. And torpor is a, a mental kind of collapsing, um, falling asleep or just being dull or disinterested. It's much like uh, one of the other hindrances, restlessness and worry. So restlessness is something that can be felt in the body, just like not feeling settled, not wanting to, feeling like you want to jump out of your skin or move from your seat. And then the worry is the agitation in the mind that doesn't want to be still. So noticing sloth and torpor is like um, those pairs kind of help help me remember that there's a connection between what's happening in the mind and the body. Right? So the body is conditioning the mind, the mind is conditioning the body, and, and often it's easy to see. So sometimes, you know, just to notice that feeling of dullness or disinterest or 
I don't really care, I don't want to be here, or whatever that is, those thoughts that arise. And to just go right to the body and see, like, how, where is that? Is there a location in the body? Can it be felt? Can it be known? In much the same way that the, you know, we can use that same practice with agitation, anxiety, restlessness, and worry. I don't know if probably many of you have listened to Ajahn Suchito. Um, he talks a lot about energy. So I practiced this way when I was at the retreat property a lot, just noticing the energy of whatever was being known. So the energy that's felt, you know, anger has a certain energy that's really intense, big, alive. Um, and sloth and torpor is like the opposite kind of energy where it's just so, you know, like that. <laughs> and so just kind of feeling the, the flow in the body, like what is this like? this kind of energy, and remembering not to demonize the mind for what it's knowing, right? These are just visitors to the mind. So an imbalance of energy or a confused energy comes with the defilement. So like in the case of anxiety, a, a confused energy that um, the mind just wants to be protected or cared for or safe, right? And it's just kind of a confused way of doing it. Mind doesn't really see clearly. And so the sloth and noticing like that kind of not wanting to be here is just another way of like um, noticing the, the energy that's like, oh, this isn't, there's something better than this or um, something more worthwhile. And so one of the things that I would do to bring a little balance is just reflect on, just take a moment and tap into my deepest aspirations. Like, why am I here when there was dullness in the mind? Like, why am I doing four weeks at Prairie Farm by myself when I could be doing anything else with lots of people that I love? And an answer would come to mind. And there I would notice, like, the energy would like, oh, yeah, sweetie, that's why you're here. Like, you really want to be awake in your life. You really do care about purifying the mind. And then sometimes there would be this, I notice like, oh, like really in this moment, this moment right here, not down the road or in the past, this moment right here is where freedom exists. I could feel it. Like the moment of where the energy is in balance and the body feels safe enough to be here. And that was enough to just bring that, you know, that right balance back to the mind. Yeah, just, it can be difficult to, to be mindful of when the mind is drowsy, dull, or falling asleep. It, that's a seductive kind of energy um, that can be hard to just be with. So the instruction is generally to, to be mindful of whatever we can be mindful of. And then when, and to know the difference between when the right, uh, 
course of action is to stay with it, and when the right course of action is to use a strategy. So a strategy could be to open the eyes. If the mind is just like, you know, nodding off, nodding off, nodding off, um, can't really find its way back to a balanced state, then the right medicine, the right thing to do might be just to open the eyes and little light, little light in and feel the, the shift. Or to stand up even, or maybe even to get up and go for a walk. But, um, yeah, the first step would be to, to try to be mindful of it, to notice it, to feel what it's actually like to be dull or drowsy or whatever, whatever sloth and torpor is however it's manifesting in our minds. And I've been practicing in the way Sayadaw Utejaniya teaches lately. And he is really clear about the, his instruction to stay in awareness instead of in the object. And that really helped me um, with, I noticed the seductiveness of that, um, the pleasantness of dullness, right? Especially, like, this mind tends to do a lot of agitation, <laughs> like a lot of anxiety. And so the mind would get tired out and then the, with all the thoughts and the energy in the body. And then it would be like, it finally leaves. And I don't know the relief. I just noticed that, oh, thank God, right? And then the mind wants to go to sleep because it's so indulged in that pleasant feeling. So that instruction to stay in awareness rather than to get absorbed into that feeling, that, that pleasantness. Um, it's good to notice the pleasantness, but also just to kind of be aware, see if I can, can I really, can I stay aware of the pleasantness instead of dropping into it? Yeah. Yeah, this is a good exploration for me. I, I thought I'd tended to be, and I, I do tend to be more on the restlessness and worry side, personality-wise, but just knowing that I was going to be sharing some comments, I was just paying more attention to the sloth and torpor side of things, and yeah, and getting interested in it. Um, kind of my biggest takeaway in, in reflecting is, is just the general tendency of the mind to be interested in delusion. And it's so interesting that that even as someone, I mean, you know, we're all here because we're committed and to, some, to some degree to being awake, but being distracted, being deluded is a lot easier in some ways. It's a lot less intense, you know, to sleep in, you know, to kind of space out, to not really be present for life is uh, less intense. Um, Rebecca Bradshaw says, we have to acclimate to presence. We have to, you know, it's, it's wild to be with our lives as they are, as they're unfolding. It's not easy. So we can have compassion for the ways that our mind actually chooses to dull out. And maybe we need that. Again, Rebecca Rebecca has a great way of really understanding our unhelpful habits and really seeing them as trying to take care of us. So I forget what I was going to say that she says, but like... um, 
Oh yeah, that we need a vacation sometimes, a vacation from mindfulness. So like, <laughs> just when we notice that, we can, yeah, I guess I needed a vacation there from presence. Yeah, so I think part of my exploration is is that how to how we view this hindrance of sloth and torpor that we can see that it's um, not really a great strategy for long-term happiness. Dulling out might, you know, get us through some rough patches, but as a long-term strategy, being asleep isn't really a strategy for life. <laughs> um, but then, so then we notice how we get caught in it. What is the seductiveness? Shall I mention the pleasantness? Um, and then also, but on the other side also, resisting it, fighting it, um, is suffering as well. So the identification with the experience, I noticed on a few um, separate occasions recently that that turning point or that relationship of the mind to the experience just a simple example, the other night, I think it was a Friday maybe, but it was a long day, and so it was like nine. Um, but I was going to go out with my sister and my cousins, but I was feeling tired. But it was just a great chance to see that resistance, like, oh, I'm so tired, I don't want to go out. But, I, but, but just noticing how much of that struggle was personalizing that experience of being tired. Um, Also noticed it recently with um, feeling depressed. Like, and Saito Tejaniya also says this, like noticing in my mind the difference between I'm so depressed or I'm so tired. Like the minute that thought arises, just the, the extra weight that carries as opposed to this mind state and sort of observing it as nature. So, is it a problem when the mind is tired or when the mind is dull? Like just, you know, even the word hindrance can sort of carry that assumption. And it's certainly true that it's, if the mind is caught, if the mind's identified with that experience, then it's a problem. But what is it like to observe dullness of mind um, with, and without the assumption that it's a problem? It, can it be an experience that we observe? And it's an exploration. So like this morning, I, I've been experimenting with, because I've been sleeping in recently, and, and that's just an interesting exploration, like th- that waking up time and and I see really clearly how that's the mind preferring delusion and being in that somewhat awake state even though it's often quite unpleasant because the mind's kind of awake kind of asleep kind of and and actively um, actively cultivating de- delusion like it could wake up it's ready to wake up 
but it doesn't really want to because life is hard. <laughs> and, so, and so it's actively cultivating like delusion. And it's really actually, I've noticed, stressful. And, and then it's like that moment of just getting up feels like it's kind of like that moment of waking up might, might be unpleasant just in sort of tearing away from that soft gooiness of being half asleep. But then I find then it just becomes, in the light of consciousness, clear that, well, okay, this is life. And, and pretty soon, it's a lot less stressful to just be awake and then doing my morning sit and just being with things, even if it is more intense and I'm sort of with things. But so this morning I got up, you know, a little earlier than I might have, um, earlier than I wanted to, just to kind of investigate, you know, and and it's an exploration, like how much of it is actually being tired. But it, and I think we don't need to have perfect clarity, you know. Like there's some teachers, and, and for a while I did this, like when you wake up, just get up, just you know, and then if you get tired later. Um, see if you can find a way to, to rest, but to kind of wean the mind off that habit. And I ended up sort of exploring, being kind of tired and exploring, and then, and for a while, and then laid down. And so I didn't have perfect clarity, you know, was I really, did I really need more rest or whatever? But, but what I did learn through today and, and other days of kind of exploring this was just the mind's relationship to that state like when the when the mind's trying to be aware and it's tired and it's like it's really unpleasant and the mind just wants to be asleep but there's some at least part of that experience is the mind not wanting to be present with the way things are and so exploring that was interesting and there were moments where where that piece of the mind could was seen clearly like Okay, so there's some tiredness, there's some sleepiness, there's some resistance to being here, there's some attraction to going back to bed, and there's awareness, and there's, a, there's resistance, I can be aware of that. So there was some learning there. So I don't think we always need to know for sure what's going on, but we can sort of know what the relationship of the mind is to what's going on and learn from that. And I think some of those moments this morning were of the mind turning the attention away from the resistance or the sleepiness itself and just to the fact that I may not want to be awake, but I am awake. So there is awareness. So again, that turning the attention to the awareness itself so in every moment, no matter how sleepy, if, if there is um, awareness, if, there is, if the mind is awake, then in every moment there's awareness and there's an object of awareness. So there can be a clear awareness of a dull object or a confused or hazy object. Yeah, and just in general, 
I was reflecting on energy and how we personalize it. And, um, yeah, that how we, we take it so personally when, when we're feeling low energy or, or when we feel like we have a lot of energy. But it's really not personal. And how much energy we... So, and, and in sort of in claiming energy, sort of as personal, like I have to get up in the morning, I have to do my day, which is why it feels so seductive to stay in bed. Um, but just holding as a possibility, like, is it really true that, you know, on the one hand, for those of us who tend to be more aversive, like, life is this long thing, you know, I have to brush my teeth, and I have to eat my breakfast, and I have to go to work, you know, if we, when we, the mind's looking at things from that point of view, it's like, exhausting, like, who has the energy to do all that, but yet, it's like, what if, you know, I think Ajahn Chah said, like, this life is just work, or, like, life is work, like, but that doesn't mean it has to be a personal burden, like, maybe, yeah, maybe energy is just part of the system, the natural system, and, and things just get done the day. So what, where are the, the places in our life where it feels like a burden, and maybe that's less about what we have to do and more about the resistance in the mind to it, Yeah, and, and like, you know, when we have a lot of energy or when we feel like we have to present as having a lot of energy, you know, how, how valued that is in our society, you know, being really go-get-em sort of people. And, and, but that too, you know, that, that can be exhausting, like to feel like we have to keep doing that. And um, yeah, so I think that's just an interesting exploration how we relate to energy. Low energy, is that a problem? Is having a lot of energy always good? I mean, we have a lot of energy and then feel like we have to use it. Yeah, and like, I'm often more on the low energy side of things and I, and I feel like part of that certainly is all the energy that's being expended in in delusion, in aversion. So I think there is a balancing of energy that happens. Um, you know, either we're, we have too much energy with a lot of greed and, you know, it's just always up or low energy from aversion and resistance. So allowing the energy to move. So if it's resistance, it's allowing that to move allowing, instead of resisting that. And I find it's interesting um, sometimes how energy just does seem to be this natural process. So like I am often low energy, but sometimes when I'm sort of in a mindful place and not really actively like identified with I don't have energy or like actively identified with I have a lot of energy, but there's this sort of middle ground of mindful awareness, like just the energy it takes to be present intimate in an ongoing way that's sort of this sustaining energy and then it sort of 
can flow out when it's needed. So sometimes a lot of you know, energy will come up in, when, when the moment calls for it. Um, but it's not like me doing that. It's just kind of being in a potential state, being in a receptive state to what's needed in the moment. So I think, in general, like what the mind is interested in, we can find that even in, even when there is low energy, like instead of trying to call up a lot of energy, it's like, well, what's actually, what can the mind be interested in here? The fact that there's awareness, even though there's low energy, or the fact that there's some resistance, like maybe this low energy is really... A, a kind of numbing and maybe there's a kind of settling in where something that's being avoided can be seen. I, I Just in the last week in exploring that, I've, it was really interesting. I, I have been feeling kind of depressed, but in sort of with this exploration, it, it seemed like every time I looked, that sort of low energy, there was a lot of energy there, but it just, I didn't want to feel it. There was like, <laughs> there was this avoidance. So like, just in a very simple like, I'm just going to be present with whatever's here. There was energy enough for that because that was interesting, even if it was kind of unknown. So we need compassion there in in going to difficult places that we might uh, we might have been sort of keeping at bay. So I think I'll leave my comments there. And we can open it up now. People sharing their experiences with energy, with sloth and torpor. I think Mary has her hand up over there. Hi, I'm Mary. Um, can you hear me? Um, first of all, I really appreciate all the comments the three of you made. It's really nice to hear some of your personal experiences. Um, uh, this is my second round studying uh, the hindrances. The first round, about five years ago or so, I didn't really get them at all. <laughs> this time, I'm really making much more of, a, of an effort, and I've really... Um, really appreciating the study. Um, I never really paid much attention to sloth and torpor because I didn't think it was an issue. <laughs> but um, I listened to the Gil Fronsdell, um podcast or whatever it is and also read uh, the chapter in his book. So I started really paying attention in the last week or so, last couple weeks. And the thing I noticed about myself was that, of course, sloth and torpor exists, um, but that it, it's a very, very uncomfortable thing for me. It, um, to feel like I don't have energy, you know, whether it's just tiredness versus lack of energy, how you differentiate between those two, I think is very complicated because I think they're very connected. But I noticed that I had so much judgment about myself when I realized I was low energy, whether it was mind or body. And that when I noticed that, 
it made it so much worse. And I thought, well, now what would happen if I just calm down about all this <laughs> judgment, you know? What if I just say, yeah, you know, I just don't have much energy. And what if I can just be okay with that? And again, this is just one experiment, but I noticed that there was this real shift in being okay with it to energy arising, you know, and that was really, um, really interesting for me to notice that I carried that level of judgment around not being energetic. So um, it's a good practice. Thanks. I'm Chaya, and first I guess I'd like to share with you the thank you for the what you had sent out, because just the thought of, you know, this is the mind. I, for, you know, sometimes I have to be reminded, you know, this is not an I that's, you know, messing up. You know, it's more about the observing that the mind is doing this. And you helped me today by your talks of saying, oh, you know, I don't have to, it's not about... It's not about me, you know. It's about this mind and being observant of the mind. Um, what I've observed, though, is when I first started meditating, whenever, um, I was also dealing with depression and anxiety and stuff like that. And I was a real ruminator. My mind loved to play things over and over and over and over again. And um, so I'm finding more and more, now I don't know if it's, you know, torpor or not, but I sometimes I come on Sunday morning, I'm sitting here, and the next thing I know, I don't know if I'm sleep if I fell asleep or not. You know, I mean, I feel like I've sat here the whole time, but you know, and then I go, oh my God, am I snoring? No, <laughs> there's little things like that that go on, and I like, it's my mind just feels so much calmer than it used to be, but I think I'm also sinking into allowing it to be that way like oh this feels so good you know so I'm not always sure what what to do with that if you know or just accepting that hello the mind has really done some changes in x number of years of practicing so you know maybe just accepting and also remembering that it's not something that I'm doing to me Um, I feel like I am a good friend of sloth and torpor, a serious good friend. And the idea of being awake, like 24 hours almost, like that we're just going to wake up to every moment is suspect to me because resting, the body resting, the mind resting, is part of the process, the creative process, the, the state of a dull resting is part of how a root might drop water. So the judgment we might have on a particular place that we're in in a moment might be really out of whack with a larger picture of how change happens, how our hearts open. You know, babies need a lot of closeness 
and a lot of love and then they run out there and they look and then they get scared and then they run back and so there's it's just a process so I like to love the torpor part of me because I love to feel my feelings and especially if it's a painful feeling or a a vulnerable feeling or a lonely feeling it feels like I have to be delicate and I have to be loving and I have to let it happen and it might take a few hours of laying there and I love to lie instead of sit because when I lie I think I'm aware but it's um it feels like not doing like I'm not doing my life I'm not doing my torpor I'm not doing my pain I'm just letting it unfold and I and it's a really subtle place because I know for a fact I get really averse and really uh, almost violent when there is like a depressed person in my space because I feel like, no, this is not depression. This is not an opt-out. This is love, what it looks like in somebody who's trying to feel the tone of this existence and not judge the moments of rest. So anyway, when you say that the highest end is nothing to do, no one to be, nowhere to go, and yet you pick at yourself when you even try to get close to such a state of like unfolding, well, it's going to cause issues. So I'm not saying I don't spend way too much of my life in delusion and torpor. I'm just saying the whole process has to feel loving or it just isn't worth it. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, this is really... Interesting, and uh, I've uh, I've had a here. Oh, okay. How is it that now? Is that better? Okay. Um, yeah, I've had a real big problem with torpor and and sloth too. Uh, sometimes I think it might be due to age, and uh, I wonder if you you could uh, discuss that. Uh, When somebody gets older, uh, I guess they they lose their energy, but maybe too that that's just a rationalization also, too. Um, I'm thinking also, too, is that when you're thinking about making a lot of changes, uh, you're moving out of your comfort zones, and one reaction to that might be sloth and torpor, too. Thank you.
Um, mine is kind of a question and then a comment too, because um, uh, my primary hindrance of choice has always been sense desire, and I do it with food. I've been labeled a foodie, and in doing that, so but I find that it can lead into. I have this high that comes up when I'm enjoying a good dinner or something like that, or then you know satiate with the chocolate at the end or whatever the the poison or pick of the thing is but then i find that i can fall into and this is the question i think for when because you talked about there's a physical piece where the physical aspect of sleepiness is just a normal piece we all need rest obviously but i'm asking isn't that also isn't one f- hindrance feeding another when i take the sense desire and then move into the sloth, or in this case, torpor. Because I find I get kind of sleepy when I've fed the hungry beast. I I think that the point about, um, that's interesting to me about, this was Gil Fronsdale's uh, point, that when we're talking about sloth and torpor, it's, Sorry, it's not necessarily, um, or it's, it's a it's a mind state that that can unfold, but is not related to sleep. And this is this is for true for all of us. So to me, that's really interesting because we can simply interpret that, you know, we're tired because of um, because we're tired. Uh, so and as Mary said, it's complicated. So we we, we don't necessarily know. Um, so I, I'm not sure about how that relates to to kind of this this trajectory that that you're talking about I don't know do do either of you have a response to that Oh John sure. Thank you um yeah I want to thank all three of you been really helpful. Um, I was as I was listening. I realized I I do a couple of things, and I didn't realize it was really sloth or torpor, but but um, but the these two strategies, you know, one was I was just going about daily tasks, and I was just getting more and more slow and tired, and I can't do the next one. And luckily, I had music on, and all of a sudden, I started dancing. And then I started dancing silly, and and that went on for about ten or twelve minutes, and then all of a sudden, boom! I was back in the world again. But another situation, completely different. Sometimes after I meditate, I'll 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 go very slowly about my business. You know, I'll eat very slowly. I'll open the door very slowly. And one time I was doing that, and I was kind of fading out. And all of a sudden, I started just started watching my hand as it was doing things. And all of a sudden, I had all of this energy just by watching my hand. Now, why that happens, I don't know. But it was like maybe I was more connected to my body. I don't know what. But it was an amazing experience. And I do have kind of a question comment. Um, and I think it's come up before about you know when to stay with the dullness and when to use a strategy to uh, bring up the energy. And 
I think I'm beginning to become become comfortable with just like whatever pops in my head, that's what I do. Because I don't think there is a way for me to figure out whether I'm tired or or just dull. And so that's kind of difficult for me because I like to know what I'm doing and I like to know what the result's going to be. <laughs> but but to say, okay, well, it's an experiment, right? And just and it's tended to work out. I was interested in the question in the back about aging. As I've been watching my 94-year-old mother, she's going through cancer right now, and, and she's still bright and present even though she's exhausted. And I think of myself of, you know, there's a natural waxing and waning of aging and, you know, getting tired and doing projects. And I think for me the question is embodied in, in the title, The Hindrances. So what is it hindering? Um, it's hindering being awake. Is it hindering being awake? Is it hindering having open heart? Is it hindering having an open mind? Um, and if not, then I'm just tired and I should take a nap. <laughs> I, I just want to say one thing about aging, um, and it's, it was just something that Ajahn... Semedo sometimes talks about in terms of the mind that knows, the, the mind that knows. And he often says, the mind that knows doesn't age. There's no age. There's no gender. You know, that, that, that's different. So, so I, I hold that close when I feel my weariness. So. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org.